0: How many miles should you be running? Many people love to show off their monthly mileage totals on social media. Monthly mileage totals and weekly mileage totals can be a great way to track your progress in some respects, but in other aspects, it can be pretty easy to get caught up in the numbers game of running. Two runners of the exact same abilities on race day, might run vastly different peak mileages in marathon training, yet they end up running the exact same time on race day. It's less about what your weekly mileage totals are and more about finding the sweet spot mileage during your training season that allows you to improve. In this episode, we're gonna be covering a variety of different topics when it comes to weekly mileage. First, we're gonna dive into what the progressive overload principle is, and we'll talk about what the aerobic base is and how mileage and lots of easy miles really does build that aerobic engine and how obviously running more miles is a good thing, but only to a certain extent. So we'll talk about what the progressive overload principle is and all that good stuff. We'll also be talking a little bit about the science of like time on feet and building that aerobic base. Next, we're gonna talk about the point where running more does not become productive. So there is a point for every runner and it's always different that you might be erring on that side of overtraining. And we really wanna make sure that no one gets into that overtraining window. So we'll talk a little bit about some signs and symptoms of what overtraining might look like. We'll also talk a little bit about Red, Red's syndrome and the female athlete triad. These are all pretty common in the sport of running and definitely not talked about enough. Um, And we'll also be talking about how to build your mileage. So if you're at a place where you think that it's a good time to build your mileage, we'll talk about what some of those signs are. We'll talk about how you can do that within a training cycle and within like a standard calendar year. We'll also talk about how to find your sweet spot mileage. So maybe you're someone who's more of a low mileage athlete. Maybe you're someone who can do a little bit more high mileage. And we'll be talking a little bit about how you can identify where you are. And we'll also talk a little bit about how different seasons of life you might have to adjust. So maybe you're a high mileage runner right now, But if you go through a season of change, or maybe as you get older and you age into more of a master's athlete, maybe you're going to have to change your approach to how you run your weekly mileage. Um, So we'll chat a little bit about how to make those adjustments with the different life changes that you have. So kicking things off, we'll, we'll just go into what the progressive overload principle is. I know we've talked a lot about this on previous episodes the whole idea of the progressive overload is really starting where you're at currently with your weekly mileage and so i know it can be popular um, in this time of year a lot of people are ramping back up into training maybe they're training for a fall marathon and so they're getting that base mileage back and sometimes when the weather starts to take a bit of a turn to be better for running right maybe the snow starts to melt people get really excited and they go outside it can be really easy to feel like okay i just want to like dive right back into training but with the progressive overload principle we really want to start with what you have been doing so if you haven't really been running more than say 10 miles a week we don't want to be starting at like 30 miles a week we just want to have like a slow progressive overload so if you've been at 10 for the last i don't know say two three months Then maybe the first week of training, you're gonna start with maybe 12 miles per week, and then we slowly build from there over time. So Jason talk to me a little bit about the aerobic science when it comes to building your aerobic base, because we always talk about the 80% rule. And in running, it's really important that 80% at a minimum of 80% of your mileage should be done at that easy pace, which we usually say is two to four minutes per mile slower than your 5k pace. Mm -hmm. And that always takes a lot of people by surprise. Like why would you have to run so many miles at an easy pace? And I think that really goes hand in hand with the discussion of weekly mileage because You can really only increase your weekly mileage if you are running at the appropriate easy pace. And there's a lot of times I see athletes who say, oh, I'm a low mileage runner, low mileage runner. And I'm like, okay. And then you take a look at their training and you see, well, have you ever tried slowing down Mm -hmm. a lot more on your easy runs so that you can increase your weekly mileage. And so I think that this is a really important thing to kick things off with, because I think some athletes out there identify as low mileage runners, when in fact they might actually be able to build their aerobic base a little bit more with adding more miles. But the Mm -hmm. factor that really needs to switch is we need to be spending more time in like those lower aerobic zones, like zone two, and just really keeping it easy.
1: Yes, well said. You know, I was first introduced to this concept really as a high school student when our high school coaches would ask us to just put in base miles over the summer right and so you know we were told to just keep it easy and really we weren't allowed to race I think he maybe gave us um, one opportunity opportunity to like a local 5k but other than that it was basically just you know he would kind of tell us how many miles he wanted us running how many days a week and it was just to be done at an easy pace and we kind of knew what that was from practicing you know together in the spring for track and, and whatnot so um, the reason, you know, obviously it became clear as I got into college why coaches had us do this and um, just how important it is. It, it, it really is about establishing that foundation, right? So during the aerobic base, um, you know, there's there's so many benefits and, and Arthur Lydiard is one of the coaches that gets credited to this philosophy of spending, you know, depending on how long um, it is before like your, your, your A race or your season or whatnot, about an eight to 10 week base is what what he recommends for base training. And so during this time, um, you know, your body's learning how to uh, stimulate more glycogen to be stored in the muscles. It's improving your blood vessels, oxygen carrying capabilities, um, and really just helping increase the capillary network for these muscles. So we talk about that 80% rule, and you know, that's important no matter what phase of the training cycle you're in, but during that base building phase, Mm -hmm. we have to get this work done in order to be able to sort of introduce these uh other progressive overload variables so we're going to talk about like intervals and you know threshold and and all that so um it just sort of lays that foundation work and so that's what i think of when i hear the word aerobic base Mm. um you know when you hear the word anaerobic you usually think without oxygen so it's something you can't do very long aerobic means you can do that for a long period of time because your body has time to circulate the oxygen that it needs
0: yeah, that's really interesting about the Lydiard philosophy because Coach Ben actually went to either like a seminar, a conference, some sort of certification that he got through Lydiard maybe, I don't know, five years ago now, four years ago, and he did talk a lot about how his main philosophy was higher mileage and doing a lot of stuff at an easy pace and you don't really get into workouts until you're really close to race day and so there has to be like that really big base building portion where it's strictly easy mileage and one of the things that i thought was interesting from his summary of that was that it's almost not benefit like you there's no benefit to doing workouts during that base building phase like you're almost taking away some of the aerobic gains that you would be getting if Mm -hmm. you start doing all these workouts so the whole idea was like yeah commit 10 weeks only doing easy running and I was like do you really think that that would work and at the time I just didn't really have the patience to do something like that but since then I've had periods where for whatever reason like I just I would say oh I'm not motivated to do a workout and it'll be a couple months where I don't do any sort of workout usually you know in the months after a marathon like having that standard off season and I think sometimes runners can get in their head and think oh this isn't productive this isn't doing anything but sometimes in that work of like Doing something different where you're focusing on building your base, you're giving your body a break from those workouts, you actually are able to then come back stronger after that period of base building. So, I'd like to think of like last summer, I ran a marathon in April, I ran a PR, it was great, and I was really like, you know, coming off of a PR, you're always like really pumped. Like I want to get into this next training cycle. Like mentally, you know, you want to ride that high, but physically the body needed some recovery. And it took about four months before I could actually do workouts again, where I wasn't feeling like trash. Um, and then come fall, all of a sudden I hit another half marathon PR kind of like broke through to a time I never thought I would achieve. And I think what is telling there is that having those periods of strict base building where you're doing pretty much just easy mileage or just building your mileage so during that period i was still running what some might call higher mileage right for like an off season but i think it did allow me to then have a training cycle thereafter where i was able to build into more workouts and stuff like that so i think there's always this undervalued aspect in the running community of what easy mileage can do and it is is just such an amazing thing you can give yourself to have that aerobic base and you can always build from there. So if you ever are in periods where you just really don't feel like running, I always think it's better to just Mm -hmm. go out there and do something. And even if it's running a lot slower than you're used to, it really does give your body more of a break um, on a muscular skeletal level when you do slow it down to maybe like zone 2 work.
1: Right. And take new runners, for example. You know, We're starting out just learning how to run mileage right and, and the, the goal is to increase endurance and so if you're following the progressive overload and you know which typically would be like a i don't know a couple percent increase of mileage every couple of weeks right and so um the thought there is let's just see how they respond to that and how their body handles that first ber- before we add in increasing mileage with increasing like intensities at the same time you know because for a new runner that can be a lot of uh, different concepts and their body could get thrown off and so Um, you know, the more advanced level runners, they might be allowed to do some, you know, a little bit of workouts during this time, but it's nothing like super structured. It was always something that's very like, um, there's no set paces. It's more just off of feel. Right. And the more experience you get as a runner, you understand what that feels like. And so a lot of times I'll give my first few workouts back to athletes that I've been coaching for a while. Um, it won't even be, there won't even be paces. It'll just Mm -hmm. be like, um, you know, off of effort or whatnot, um, or I'll give them a really wide pace, right, for like a two or three minute tempo. It might be a 30 to 50 second window, something like that. Um, so that kind of, you know, it gets into the next topic about the time on the feet. Really, the goal here is um, to have these these adaptations can occur when you're running for longer periods of time, right? Mm-hmm. They don't occur if you're running at fast paces. If you're doing interval workouts, mm-hmm. you, chances are you're going to get capped out at a couple miles by the end of your run, right? And so... And then you're going to need to recover from that. And so the thought is if you're just running easy, um, there's more opportunity. It's all about the minutes, right? The time spent on your feet. This is giving you um, more opportunities for the aerobic enzyme um, transformation that's going to happen inside of your muscles. And so that's that's really what um, is going to help improve your aerobic capacity over time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people do get confused because when you are working in like zone two, for example. I keep saying zone two because it's a certain percentage of your heart rate. It's basically an extremely low effort aerobic sort of run. And for some people, like a beginner athlete, um, thinking back to when I first started running, that zone two work might actually be a walk like a brisk walk like on the treadmill um and so i think it's really important that people know what the correct um paces are that they need to go for these easy days and your easy days might be if you're a beginner if you're coming back into the sport or if you're postpartum they might be walks they might be Biking it might be elliptical, but you're still able to work that aerobic engine And when you're doing that you're getting all of these benefits that you have so nicely laid out here Um, I'll kind of let you speak to some of the Scientific things that happen on like a cellular level inside the body and these things really only happen if you are working In that true aerobic zone. So things like zone two work for sure. So what are some of those benefits?
1: yeah, so um, your body's using so basically what you're learning to do is um, running these zones and it becomes more tireless right like so for a beginner runner they go out and run no matter what pace it's probably going to feel really hard because they're not used to it right the more you get used to running at an easy pace it becomes really simple and easy right so mentally there, there's some benefits there but really as far as the science level um it increases the use of intermuscular fat as the same speed to spare glycogen so your body gets used to burning fat instead of um, looking for the carbs right away Um, improves your blood vessels oxygen carrying um, capabilities so really just helps increase your red blood cell count and your hemoglobin and so um, a couple studies so one I wanted to point out was about rats um, because I found two studies I wanted to talk about on this podcast one was rats um, where they look they looked at how much uh, they want to learn about the adaptation with having them run right and so they found out that it reached its maximum adaptations when they're running 60 minutes per day five days per week so that was just an interesting study oh. that I <laughs> read. Yeah. Right. And so,
0: wow.
1: um, and I remember years ago you used to talk about, you, you must've listened to something or read something I think about Jack Daniel said 60 was, minutes yeah, was like this magic number, right?
0: 60 and then under 90. Cause once you hit 90, that's when, when you were talking about the glycogen, mm-hmm. um, you start really dipping into your glycogen. So you can dip into your glycogen even before 90 minutes if you're like pushing it if you're like you know all out racing you're doing something crazy right um but that's where it really starts to go so i think like you were just saying the 60 minutes that was really interesting so i think there is that really sweet spot between like 60 and, and 80 minutes for aerobic activity but again that, i mean that just sounds like a really long time for some people who are listening they're probably like who has time to run for 60 minutes every day but everyone's different right
1: Right, right. And so the other study I want to talk about was horses, right? And so what they did okay. was they have this group of horses, they split them into two groups. Um, it's a 34 week study, so very long. Mm-hmm. And basically they do the same thing for 16 weeks and they measure um, like the, the percentage of capillaries or number of capillaries per That's fiber. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so what they found was it basically plateaus after 16 weeks. They take the one group and they make them train at a higher volume after the 16 weeks for the next, what is that, the next 18 weeks it is. And they basically find that it plateaus. And so the group, (laughs) yeah. So it's kind of interesting that um, despite the two difference in training volumes after the final, or after the, for the final 18 weeks, there's no limit to, or there's no changes really in the muscles at adaptive response to training at that point. And so you know, what that tells us is really, we need to change something with our training, right? At that point. And that's where, um, you know, that's why his, his philosophy was, I think 10 weeks roughly for runners base building, and then you move into your next phases. And depending on how much time you have to work with or the level of athlete that the person is, or maybe even what their, their race distance goal is, um, he's got a few other phases there like hill training and then anaerobic development and, and that sort of thing So then you sort of move into those other phases of training to hopefully get some of the other changes that we want to elicit
0: And so interesting. I remember there's a YouTube video that Jack Daniels um, the VDOT guy right Jack Daniels mm-hmm. PhD in exercise science He yes. basically was like why would you ever run faster than the slowest possible aerobic easy pace? He's like it doesn't make sense because you're just putting more stress on like the muscles and everything and you're actually gonna get the same benefit at a lower pace and it's just really interesting kind of how the the science of all that stuff works and you're still getting like the same benefits um, on that cellular level but I think that's a really good point because when you are running at maybe those slower paces or you're really taking your easy days easy you're actually able to run more mileage than say if you were like hammering it every single day and I think the only way that I've ever been able to increase my mileage um, in the last Two, you know years once you kind of get to a point in your running right I think the first couple years in running it's really easy to increase your mileage and then you maybe like hit a point right. where you're like oh you know like this is my mileage this is my sweet spot but for some people I look at the training I'm like mm, maybe if you slowed a little bit more on your easy days you might actually be able to run a little bit more mileage Um, and so I think that's kind of like that missing missing piece for some people and it can be great thing to break through I know not everyone has time to run a certain amount of mileage so that's another constraint obviously Mm -hmm. right so um, some people have no desire or they just don't have the time to be running more than what they're currently committed to but if people think it's like a physical limit sometimes it's just a matter of making some tweaks so again sometimes there are physical limits right so even within elite runners right who have unlimited time to run they're all kind of reaching their own separate peak where okay we're not going to run more than i know kevin lewis he works for us he's a two was he 212
1: yeah i think 211 212 2,
0: two, somewhere yeah there. 212 marathoner so it's he, pretty uh, you know obviously elite um professional runner right but when it comes to like weekly mileage i'm sure there's like a point where it's like we don't want to go much more above that because then things start to get, um, productive. So even though he's running like 120, 130 mile weeks, when he's peaking for a marathon, it's not like limitless. It's not like he can go out there and do 200 mile weeks and he's going to be faster. It's like, there has to be almost a limit. And then above that point, um, that's when things start to like not get productive. And so when Kevin Lewis or whoever else is training for a marathon, and they're at that 120 mile weeks, week, it's like they're right at that threshold. They're trying not to go over the line and become that unproductive, over sort of thing. But riding that line and making sure you get every little benefit but not go over, I mean, it's a really mm-hmm. a science and an art to it, right? And I think even like a recreational or like beginner athlete, we're always kind of at that same idea like we're trying to not overtrain and so we wanted to talk a little bit about the signs of what is overtraining because we definitely don't want to do so much that we are in the overtraining category because that's where things really start to go south and that's where we start seeing people saying like i'm not built for running or they're getting injured and not even able to make it to like the start line of races there's just a lot of bad things that can happen when you start overtraining And the sad thing about overtraining is it's not like, okay, wake up one day, go out, oh no, I'm injured. It's more of like an over time sort of thing. Like the human body is very resilient and it can endure a lot. And these signs of overtraining, they start small and it really will creep into... You won't even really realize it's happening sometimes and so that's why it's really important to always be really in tune with your body and maybe even like keeping some sort of a journal so jason what are some signs of overtraining
1: yeah for me you know i always like to try to break this down and maybe what are the most common signs so number one would be like you're constantly having like flare-ups or little niggles that are bothering you right and uh, maybe they're just things that are you haven't experienced in the past or they just won't go away right and so that, that would be one Another one would be like feeling run down, um, not able to recover from workouts in time to execute uh, your long run or your next workout, that sort of thing, right? So maybe maybe you're in a period where there's a lot more like personal stress or work stress going on in your life, and then on top of that, you're also trying to sort of reach new heights with your running, and so then you know that is sometimes a recipe for be being overtrained. Um, and then probably one of the third ones that I'd say is just feeling like not positive about your running so you might look at that and feel down in the dumps a lot or not get the same satisfaction that you've had in the past um with you know completing certain workouts or maybe you're not looking ahead as much you're not excited about the race you know however you want to frame it up but you know it can be a tricky thing to figure out what is that right amount to be you know that right balance for you and so the amount you should be running is basically how much you can handle physically and psychologically at the same time and so this might change from season to season and um you know, you were talking about the elite athletes earlier, and I did find you know the average weekly mileage for elites is usually between seventy-five to one hundred and fifteen. That's a pretty wide range, but again, if we take let's say even the average like um, what I would consider advanced runner, then you know if they have a fifty-mile range, I mean, adult runners should average between I would say I don't know maybe like thirty to sixty. That's a pretty wide range too, and so you can see how there might be periods of time where. You can still maintain a pretty high level of your fitness if you are maybe training a little bit less, maybe at 30 versus when maybe a few years ago when you're training at 50 or 55. Um, I think we talked about this at the kickoff of the podcast was about how people get really obsessed about that mileage total, right? And so Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be the culprit for uh, leading into overtraining, right? We get so wrapped up in this and then what happens? It ends up resulting in, in one of these things, either feeling really worn out, burnt down, or getting injured. Yeah, as a result of overdoing it. I mean,
0: this is a really interesting topic and mainly in just thinking of it, it doesn't really seem that a lot of adult athletes will really get crazy into this overtraining syndrome. It's a
1: very small percentage of the ones we work with. Yeah, Yeah. and I
0: think maybe it's like a wisdom thing. Like when you get older, you're kind of wiser, but also maybe like the time constraints, like there's just really not a ton of time for people to be dedicating. But um, I do think what's really prevalent for some of these like red and syndo- reds syndrome female athlete triad obviously it does happen to adults of course don't get me wrong but i think it's very prevalent in like the high school and college running scene maybe yep. more so because um <clears throat> i don't know is it just because there's like such a big variable between like what different athletes can handle right because you've been a high school and a college coach before and i'm sure it's challenging because like they're also I don't know new to the sport, but some of them it's like they can advance so fast, and right. they some of them can handle like this crazy mileage, and others it's like they ha- they can only do half of that. But their performances are so similar, and so it's really like tailoring it to each person. But also I think when you're that age, it's like you don't necessarily know, um, you don't really know your body as well as right. maybe like a forty-year-old when you know something is wrong, and so it can be too. difficult, and maybe just the whole having a coach that's an adult and having to like tell that person how you're feeling and having to differentiate between a niggle and something that's really like a problem that's flaring up and even when I was running in college I think one of the girls had a stress fracture in her femur and I was just like oh my gosh that I that's that's a big bone to have Mm -hmm. a fracture in and I just like it's really mind-blowing sometimes to think about some of the the um, injuries or like the things that happened to, to some of the, the runners in the high school and college um, communities. So maybe you could speak a little bit to to that and maybe how you can help to avoid those sort of issues. Because I know it's definitely prevalent in the high school and college communities.
1: Yeah, you know I've been um, you know I've been fortunate to coach high school for many years and just observe like certain high schools and programs and especially young girls who maybe start out really strong like seventh and eighth grade they're crushing it they're like one of the top runners in the state or even like top in the conference and then you kind of see the plateau happen sometimes Mm. um 10th 11th grade and not all the time right some some girls they continue to kind of stay stay in that same um that same level or even get faster but i do see the the trend where some get get slower right as they go through Mm. um you know as as yeah as they go through changes and and so you can attribute this to maybe several factors, right? And you talked about the female athlete triad or the red syndrome, which is relative energy deficiency in sports. So that basically is just not eating enough, um, or getting the proper energy you need based on what you're expending. Um, but it could be a lot of mental things. You talked about the, uh, you know, young kids like that, when they get so focused on, it could be the pressure, right? So the identity Mm -hmm. that they create for themselves is all about like, oh, I'm this fast runner. I'm supposed to like be really fast. And then what happens when they maybe have like one bad race or Mm -hmm. they go through a tough patch. Sometimes it can, it can be this just um, whirlwind of negativity and it's really hard for them to climb out of it. And so sometimes I wonder like, is it just kind of a bad combination of several different factors working against them and maybe not having understanding parents or Mm -hmm. a coach who understands, um, maybe knowing they feel like they can talk to about this sort of thing um but yeah we do see on, on occasion you know i had a college athlete stress fracture it was i think second really? or third time and
0: second um or third. and that's what's interesting it's second or third time and i sometimes think these patterns mm-hmm. that's where it's like you really got to start digging
1: yeah and apparently you know she had bone density scans done and it was it was I think pretty normal. It might have been one deviation um, less than Which what they consider normal. That's actually but, pretty
0: bad, though. If you yeah. have it one below, because you have to think about it. if you're a runner, if you're doing high impact activity, and this is what like our chiropractor always tells us, and and I've had bone density scans before too, and they saw my result and they go, you must you must lift, you must do um, it like an imp- not an impact sport. What is it called? Like where you're. I don't know, weight-bearing activity. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I run. And I was like, I thought that made your bones weaker or whatever. And he was like, no, (laughs) running can make your bones stronger. So I think it is almost a red flag if you don't have maybe a little bit above the standard deviation. Because standard deviation is like the entire population. So if you've been running for a really long time and you have like below average bone density, it's like, oof, that's... It's not a great not a great sign um, in terms of like you risk for, for stress fractures because I mean running is just such a stress on, on yeah. the musculoskeletal system
1: yeah big time and you know the female athlete triad like that doesn't that affects the whole body you when mm-hmm. so it starts with kind of affecting hormones and then um, due to that energy deficiency and then that can actually lead to other problems um, it weakens your immunity um, growth and development. Um, it can lead to heart disease oh, or yeah. problems of the heart, um, yeah. mental energy and alertness or concentration levels. So, I mean, so much goes into that, and yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not like an expert on it, but well, there you have, are. You yeah. know, I think there's warning signs. You have to be aware if you're. Right.
0: I mean, if, if you've lost your period, and I think that's oh, what yep. that's those the are thing the next things. Yep. That's challenging because you can lose your period, but sometimes even before that happens, you like lose ovulation, and sometimes you still are getting like this. Like a small period, it's not like a full, like, yeah. Going into like the whole science and like the symptoms behind it, basically, sometimes like your whole cycle is getting a little bit skewed, and that is because your body's under so much stress, right? Like maybe you're right. not getting enough nutrients, um, not enough nutrition, or you're exercising too much, combination of both. And that can be common, unfortunately, in the running community. Uh, but I think there's been like more talk about it in recent years of like, hey, these are some warning signs. And I think back when I first started running, it was almost like this nonchalant thing. Um, Sometimes even when I go to the doctor or whatever, they would just, or sometimes, I don't know, maybe it was in like small talk, people were like, oh, you must run a lot. You must not have your period. And that's really not a healthy place to ever be in. Like even if you are an elite athlete, you still need to be getting your cycle because like you said, having all those hormones messed up, it can start impacting your heart and all of those things. Um, it just this kind of like this downward spiral. So you definitely want to take that as a red flag, if you miss your your period for um several several months or even just one month, I would take it as a red flag. And then Looking into, you know, if you're not feeling great, right? So I like to think, even if you don't have any of these symptoms, like even if you still have your period, all of those things, or if you're a guy listening and you're like, what I don't really have any of these. Um, Even just small things, like if you're noticing changes in like your sleep patterns, um, sometimes insomnia can be a sign that you're like overtraining. And I know sometimes we joke, like every time I run a marathon, every single time, I cannot sleep the next night because it's like you have Mm -hmm. so much adrenaline, you're in so much pain, and it's almost like your whole body is throbbing. And no one ever really talks about that, but I think that is like obviously after you have like such a stress event, it can be really hard to get sleep. And so you have to think on like a micro level. If you are training so hard that it's like hard for you to sleep or whatever, it's like maybe you're, it's a sign that your body is um, exercising a little bit too hard uh, too frequently and stuff like that. But of course, insomnia can be <laughs> caused from so many other factors. And that's what I think is challenging about. The signs of overtraining is sometimes it can also be a sign of other things as well. Um, One of the things is like an elevated resting heart rate, I think, is a good good tracker for people to just kind of look at. Like a lot of us have watches that are tracking this resting heart rate for us. Um, Don't compare it to like someone else's, just compare it to your own data, right? So if you notice all of a sudden, oh my gosh, for the last month or for the last three weeks, my resting heart rate has been like six beats, five beats per minute faster than normal, maybe that's a sign that you're not getting adequate recovery in there.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a lot of pieces that, that are involved with, um, you know, the puzzle of remaining healthy and, re- and reaching your potential with running. And so I like that example. And, um, you know, maybe you notice you've been sleeping maybe an hour less than, than, you, than you get on average. At the same time, you've also been increasing your training volume. And so that can be a recipe for distress down the road and um you know sometimes we see these athletes they're able to like hang on and still perform mm. during a period of maybe um i guess not optimal health or optimal state right. in terms of like where the running is but and they still are able to perform but um but then down the road they're eventually going to like crash and burn or they're going to have a mental breakdown or something right i've seen it i've seen it in several different oh, okay. manifest in different ways right or right. an injury or whatever and so then they're you know, by hitting the reset button and able to, to dialing in all these small pieces that we talk about with sleep and with nutrition and, um, you know, it just helps you stay in such a more of a positive um, state of mind. I think that's so important with running to be able to stay consistent and to reach new heights.
0: Definitely. And like I said earlier, like your body can handle a lot, but we also want to be sure that we're not putting our body into like this constant state of like fight or flight where you're just constantly stressed. If you're in a place where you're overtraining, your body's not really going to be able to perform at its optimal potential because you're not able to get the same sort of benefits from those hard exercises. Because if you're not having that recovery in between, if your body's never allowed to have that rest and digest, rest and reset portion on a micro level and a macro level, so what that means is on a weekly basis, a couple times a week, having those easy days or rest days, or on a major level like within a calendar you're having an off season um things really do start to deteriorate Uh, you might not notice it right away but over time and so that's why it's important just to kind of like look look for patterns i always think um you know maybe you have one training cycle or one race that doesn't go great but if you notice like year after year it's just kind of the same old or things are getting worse in terms of your performance maybe it's time to like change one of those variables and One of the variables you might change is your weekly mileage and how you frame things up. Maybe you used to be able to run like 50 miles a week when you were in your 20s, but now for whatever reason you're in your 30s. Maybe you don't even have any sort of changes to your life. Maybe it's just you're getting a little bit older. And 20s to 30s, you might not think, okay, that's not really <laughs> aging, right. but it is different. And each season of life, sometimes you do have to make those adjustments. And sometimes you start actually performing better when you're training and optimizing something that feels good for your body and that allows yes. you to have that recovery and to be able to optimize your performance in that way. Um, and I think really each year, almost assessing, hey, how did the year go? How was the last couple of years gone? Where am I at? And asking yourself, like, what should I be doing in this next year? What changes should I be making to my training? Um, maybe it's time to, to cut back those miles a little bit. Maybe it's time to, to grow them. And we're gonna talk a little bit about um, maybe how to build your mileage if you're at a place where you think, hey, I've kind of been at this mileage for, a while and I think maybe it is time to to step it up at this point or maybe you're in a season where you cut back mileage for whatever reason maybe you just had two kids and it's been a crazy last five years or whatever it is maybe you had a job where it was super stressful and now it's not as stressful maybe you just have a little bit more flexibility in your schedule maybe you're feeling like it's time to make some sort of a change and you have more time and energy to devote to your training. And you're thinking maybe more might, might be the right direction to go this training cycle. So how would you really assess, um, as a coach or even as an athlete, if you are in a place to build mileage?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and we're going to look at consistency and durability Mm -hmm. as two main factors and just sort of, um, plan out uh, from there and figure out like what's how much do we want to increase by um you know obviously a lot of times as adult runners we're very impatient with um trying to cram things in for races right and so that can throw a wrench in things but if you're if you're very patient this can be a little bit more methodical and um you know something you said was about the um the optimizing your performance, and that really stuck out to me because I think about there's so many cases where I've I've read articles or I've I've heard athletes talk about their training, like especially elite athletes before like a, a major race, right? And maybe they um, were very confident with their training cycle, like they were hitting paces they've never hit before, right? And maybe then they just like didn't perform for whatever reason on race day, um, and you see that sometimes, and that could be just a result of like um, their body just was working a little bit too hard and so there might have been other cases where athletes were um, optimizing other areas of their their health during the training cycle and maybe yeah they didn't quite get to that same level of fitness like they weren't able to hit the same splits they hit maybe two years ago for a specific workout but all in all they feel better mentally and physically they, they maybe are recovering better from the workouts and then that person goes and crushes it and so we always think like more is better or faster is better, but that's not always the case. It's more about just figuring out what's that right balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you are maybe maybe at a plateau, but you're not physically or mentally, um, you know, kind of burnt from running, then we could try increasing the mileage and see if we can get some new responses that way. Um So that would be one one way we could figure it out.
0: I think looking at just like the consistency, looking at the athlete background, seeing what they've been doing the last year, two years. And then even within that, like looking to see like what have they done in the past? So especially for some of our athletes who have maybe had kids, right? I feel like there's always kind of a dip in the training for maybe a couple years. It really depends on the athlete, but sometimes it's like, you have women who were running 40, 50 mile weeks like mm-hmm. for, for years. And then it's like maybe when they had kids, they took some time off, a couple years, time off from doing 40, 50 mile weeks. Right, it was just inconsistent. Doing, maybe right, different it's not periods not were 20 or 30. Or, yeah, maybe they're doing yep. 20, 30 miles a week. That individual is going to have a very different like ramp up period and potentially a very different um, response to how things are going to go. maybe once their kids are in school, right? And they have more time and and they're feeling like ready to ramp things up versus someone who it's like the opposite, right? Like maybe this individual was running 20, 30 miles a week and then they had kids and then the kid is here. Now is maybe not the time to ramp it up to 40, 50. Um, But I mean, maybe it is. I don't know people's support systems, their goals. It's it's so different from person to person, but you really want to take into consideration like, where your life is at, um, if it's a good time to do those things. I think times of pretty big stress in people's lives, it's important to ask yourself if you're going through any of these, and then maybe right. maybe it's not the time to add additional stress. So stress of life would be um, a new family member or a loss of a family member within the last like six mm-hmm. to twelve months. Uh, moving within the last six to 12 months to either a new house, new city, new community, or if that's on the horizon coming up, um, a new job within the last six to 12 months, career change last six to 12 months. There's a lot of things that are quote unquote major life stressors, and I think sometimes we think, oh, I got this, I can handle it, I can just continue training, but you really wanna ask yourself, honestly, am I in a season where there has been a major life stressor? Is it a good time to be adding additional stress? With my training, if the answer is no, it's not a good time. Then let's maybe not. But if the answer is yeah, like things have been pretty steady, Eddie, for a while, and I'm feeling Mm -hmm. good, and I want to, I want to go for it. Now's the time, right? And so, building up with no more than 10% increase per week. um, Once you have that base season, so like let's say you're base building and you're at you're at 30 miles a week. That's really where you've been at. The progressive overload principle would say let's start at 33 miles a week. And then you really wouldn't increase any more than 10% per week within that training cycle. And then you're going to want to have a cutback week every one to three weeks. Um, What really works well for me is doing one like every other week. I like to have a cutback week every other week because I like to have my really long runs within a marathon training cycle like every other week. I just find Mm, that works better for me. And there's probably alternative ways that I could do that, maybe by – not running as many miles maybe it's just more of like an even keeled like x number but i think there are a number of different ways you can do this safely and finding out what the average is that you want to maintain within that training block i mean you could do one week up one week down or you could do two weeks up one week down really just depends but Working with a coach can definitely help with that, but I think these are just good things to keep in mind. If you are creating your own training plan, make sure you are creating cutback weeks. And in those cutback weeks, you're gonna to wanna to cut back that long run to under 90 minutes. Yeah, which I think is, I think that's honestly the most shocking thing to people because they're like, what? I thought we were building mileage. I thought I'm marathon training. But part of marathon training is having those rest periods within training so that you can continue building because you can't just like, Build, 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 and never have that deload week, um, unless you're doing like a very short marathon training mm-hmm. cycle, like less than right. eight weeks, but it's pretty rare.
1: Yeah. But, and, you know, 90 minutes is still like a good amount of time. And if you time. can make that feel kind of effortless or tireless right. where, yeah, you're feeling good at the end of that, like the next day you're fully recovered or you're ready to crush your workout two or three days later, That that's really the goal. Um, and so... Yeah, the, uh, the people that have been really consistent, you know, year after year, that that's a little bit easier in terms of, like, um, formulating the idea here. Okay, we're going to go, you know, you were averaging about 45 miles per week all last year, and so um, we're going to maybe start you off at 45 to 50 for your base, and then just slowly maybe build up or whatnot. And so it, it's nice to um, have training peaks for that reason, right, to look back at it, or have all your data in Garmin. Um, It's funny, back in college, like before Garmin, we had to just manually, I just manually logged my runs um, in like a Nike training app just because I was, it was more for like accountability motivation. Um, And so you're estimating the mileage, but I didn't care so much about the mileage. I cared about like the number of runs. That's what I looked at when I looked at the monthly total. I only wanted to see like maybe, you know, one to four days where I didn't run. Like it was all about running like six days a week or seven days a week back then. But it's so funny how it's changed and people get really Um, really into the mileage. And I think, yeah, Strava, Garmin, that has really contributed to that. Um, But making sure that that mileage increase is very um, steady.
0: Right, definitely. And even within like a year, right? So I think within a training cycle, it's really easy to do, you know, two increase, one decrease, and and it's really like structured and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But within a whole like calendar year, let's say you want to increase your weekly mileage like the whole year right so within a training cycle you might build your mileage from 35 miles peaking at like 55 miles then you're going to take some time off and then maybe your off-season base mileage whereas before it was 35 or 30 all the time now maybe you're going to hover at like 40 um, during your your off-season and base building time then when you go into your next training cycle which you can do two training cycles in a year You will be starting your training cycle more at like 45 miles a week. And then that's how you kind of get into those higher mileage. It's not really so much within a training cycle. Sometimes it's like within a calendar year, you do two separate training cycles. Each one you're maybe increasing by a little bit. And so it's nothing like really drastic, right? So the idea, again, progressive overload principle is slowly over time. Let your body adapt to these changes. And that's the best way to do it. Otherwise, you might be risking um, injury burnout, those sort of things. So a lot of people want to know, like, how, how do I know if I'm high or low mileage athletes? Um, I know there, we have like a quiz that we sometimes will put up on our Instagram. Maybe we'll do it when we release this podcast again, um, from like our commit 60 workbook where it asks a series of questions, but do you have any sort of, as someone who even in college you kind of knew you were more of a lower mileage athlete um which i find interesting because you were maybe like one of the faster people on the team um how did you recognize or your coaches recognize that you were someone that thrived off of lower mileage versus higher mileage? yeah this
1: is a good question um yeah. So I guess freshman year, we just, you know, you go to this camp to kick off your season and you start running like two or three runs in a day, basically, mainly for like the mental toughness, like, oh, we're going to run, you know, we're going to get up and run. And, and so I think I just was a little, my, I, my IT band flared up. And so I had to miss a little bit of time. So I missed, I think the first race of the season. So I just kind of had a slow start and that was sort of the first, um, you know, indicator to me that, like, okay, maybe you just shouldn't run as much. Like, you know, you can hang with, with people in workouts or in the race, but you don't need to be running, you know, as much as some of the, the other kids on the so team. For they talk about their long runs. You
0: were like, this. you had the same race times as these people. Or faster than. So I think so I relied on my, than. like, history, my talent, right? right? So you or, were like, I should be able to hang out with these people and do right. the same runs as them. Or, like,
1: you know, this guy, Eric, he's, I don't know, a minute and a half slower than me in an AK he goes out and runs 13 on the weekend and he's running sometimes a morning run before practice during the week. This and, is Eric yeah. So one time I decided I just wanted to run 80 miles one week to see if I could do it. And I did it sophomore year, no injuries, nothing like that. But I just, I, I think I just found that, um, I, I didn't love like the mileage. Like some people loved it, right? They loved going out there, well, being out funny. there solo. He
0: ends up being this guy who does hundred milers. Exactly. Now. He's an <laughs> ultra guy, right? It, so it all so makes sense.
1: But you know we we rallied and we like embraced. Like I remember one time we did twenty by four hundreds at the end of the season, and he we got him to PR on like probably like the sixteenth four hundred meter Stop. repeat. <laughs> we he just decided he was he, he was feeling good. He was warmed up. We what? did it on Hell's Highway. He just like cooked one, and yeah, amazing. it was it was a lot of fun. But so. He looked at himself as a distance guy. There were other guys on the team, same thing. I looked at myself as a speed guy, especially because I I got put in the mile right away. And so I ran the short races instead of the 5K. So, um, you know, it really wasn't until, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, junior, senior year where I started like, okay, you're doing pretty good at cross country. Maybe you're like that medium distance guy. Like you can run the 5K. You can run, you know, you don't have to run the short stuff all the time. And so- you know coming out of college i was pretty optimistic that i could increase mileage and i did have a lot of weeks where i hit 60 um and then you know i just found that i think the older i got i realized i did become like a lower mileage runner
0: you know i feel like even when i met you though like I don't know, four years after college, you were identifying as, I don't I don't role. run high mileage. Maybe because of, like, the people you I hung compare- out with. Because I compare, right. Right, so if you're constantly comparing yourself to people of, like, the same ability level. All right. Um, so I think yeah, you always, similar. yeah, you were, like, almost, like, bragging to me because you were training for Chicago and you were, like, telling oh, I, me, I thought it was... um, like, how low your mileage, not how low it was, but, like, you were, like, I've only ran X and I don't know. And I think maybe it's more of a you were, I don't know, it's just different because other people when you're like comparing it to your friends and they're running the same times as you, like you were saying, you're going to this camp and it appears that everyone should be running this many miles, but then you can't even do it, you get injured. Um, So I think sometimes people get frustrated because they're in your situation, right? Like they're like, I don't understand, like everyone on Strava, everyone on social media, they're able to run these crazy mile weeks, they're totally fine, like they never get hurt. And I see that all the time. Like, there's some people I follow. I'm like, you guys just, you get after it. Like, people are doing the Chicago Marathon a week later. They're doing, like,
1: marathon. I know. I He's see He's like, that there too, are right? so like... many
0: people that, <laughs> like, last fall. I know. They, they I... like, smashed it at, like, Chicago. And then they go out, like, two weeks later. And they're still, like, they're hammering it. They're grinding it. Their bodies are just, like, durable. It's it's crazy. I don't know. Um, like, I've done some crazy stuff. But it's it still amazes me. Um, but then weekly mileage coming back to that, this quiz, I pulled it up cause I wanted to share some of these questions. So just so everyone has a little bit of background, I'm someone that's like a higher mileage athlete and just being around you a lot and you're being more of like self-identified as lower. I kind of get a good idea of like what our differences are and stuff. So when I created this quiz, it's um it kind of goes off of some of those things right so question number one is you struggle to run more than four days per week um do you have or have you had an injury in the last six months so if the answer to that is yes like we want to be real cautious because um injuries tend to come back and if you maybe you have like this plantar fasciitis that happened on your right side. Well, maybe it's not gonna be your plantar fasciitis that flares up, but maybe it's something else Mm -hmm. um, in the same chain line that's gonna flare up. Um, The struggling with more than four days per week, that is something that you can either struggle with mentally or physically. So if you're someone that struggles even mentally with running more than four days per week, let's just knock it down as maybe we're gonna stick with lower mileage. Um, If it's physically, same thing. Number three, if you in the last six months have lost motivation or you feel like you don't have time to work out. So if, if you feel like you're either one of those things, maybe it's low is better. Because if you already are at a place where you feel like you don't have motivation and you don't have time to work out, let's not increase. You can't seem to stay consistent. So if you're someone that just, you, you have a plan, you have the best intentions, you really wanna do it, but for whatever reason, it's just like every week there's at least one or two runs that you miss um, or more, then maybe not a good time to increase. Uh, Number five your legs are always fatigued like always in a state of fatigue if you're already at that place where your legs are always feeling fatigued probably not the best time to increase so if you're at that place where legs are always fatigued you're probably at your limit you're probably really riding that line already don't need to increase you have ran or you have never ran more than six times per week in your life. So this just kind of gives a gauge of like, have you ever ran six, six days, days in a week? week. Yep. And if the answer to that mm. is, is, yeah, like I, I've done that before and I felt good doing it and, and things are feeling like, yeah, that didn't destroy me. Cause sometimes people, it's like, they do six days per week and they're like, oh my gosh, I never want to do that again. That's not, that's not for me. You kind of get a good gauge of where you fall if if you do even do that. So it doesn't even have to be, oh, I ran you know six miles every day. No, it could be like if you did two miles one day, four miles the next. It doesn't have to be high mileage. Just how did you feel when you ran every day except for one day in a week or seven days a week, whatever. Um, you have been running for less than three years. So if you've been running for less than three years, you really want to give yourself a little bit more grace. You don't want to be jumping into anything crazy because your body still needs to make those adaptations. So for you going into higher mileage, it comes a little bit more risks. So you just want to weigh those things. Um, and then it, it gets into like what's the furthest you've ever ran before. So if you haven't gone over like 10 or 13 miles ever, then maybe let's, let's kind of tone things a little bit down. We don't need to go crazy. Um, you feel like you get hurt or injured whenever you ramp things up and you do not enjoy running on back-to-back days. So that's another thing you really want to think about. Sometimes people just don't like to run. Sometimes people just have like other other hobbies, other things they like to do. And I think this podcast kind of got into, there was a note I wanted to touch on of Ironman training. Okay, yeah, so... Sometimes people are like triathletes or they just don't, maybe they're aerobic instructors at the gym, they're spin instruct- instructors. And I know you kind of coach some people who are triathletes. I know in 2021, you did a few tries. Um, talk to me a little bit about like tri training or adding in cross training and what is aerobic cross training? How can that be utilized? Cause sometimes people are just like straight up, dude, I don't want to go out and run every day. Right.
1: Yeah. So the thought with, you know, tri training is you're spending so many minutes per week. Doing aerobic exercise might be just a lot of minutes on the bike or in the pool, right? And so a lot of times you count those minutes towards your like 80%, right? And so um, when you're running, you want to sort of optimize your runs and run a a little bit faster. So depending Mm -hmm. on what event you're training for, if you're training for half or full Ironman, you might do a lot of like steady state miles or, um, you know, and then if you're training for like a Olympic or a sprint, you might be doing a lot more like threshold work or something. And so then if you're only running like three days a week, for example, um, cause you're balancing all of the other two, you know, two uh, domains, then you might, two of those three days might be something of quality or maybe all three or something of quality. It might be like strides one day, it might be marathon pace work within like a longer run. And then it might be like intervals on the third run or something. And so that's kind of where Um, you know, if you're cross training, obviously you're going to build up to this level too in in terms of minutes and runs and mileage. And so it's not something you just dive right into. Um, You have to be fairly confident that your body's going to be able to handle that in in terms of running. You know, most people, I think, well, I shouldn't say that a lot of people probably do tries that aren't, they don't really like running They have to kind of like pick up running as sort of like, they have to like learn about how to do it or how to gain endurance that way. Whereas for me it was kind of the opposite, right? And so, you know, I think I think no matter where you come from, your background and your motive for doing triathlon, um, you can you can be a little bit more. Um, what's the word? Just different with your training right. because it is a different sport. I mean, you're you're trying to balance two different two different activities there well
0: so, right and i think it is important to note that you can become faster at running from doing that type of training from, so yep. there's a lot of methods out there even if you're not you you, you have trip. you're
1: an example of this at that, that winter you bite a ton and you ran low well, don't mileage even,
0: don't even use and then you me.
1: ran like a pr and something i just pulled AK? up
0: Paige schultz on <laughs> um, strava because i find this really interesting right so she won the half iron man oh, wisconsin. wisconsin in september of Last year, um, she was, like, six months postpartum with her second kid. Or thir- third kid, sorry. So, it's, like, she has three kids. I want to say it was, like, under the age of five. So, I mean, she just doesn't have probably a ton of time to train. But she, it looks like her weekly mileage was, like, 20, 20 miles a week. For running. For running. She did 20 miles a week.
1: I bet you, um, like, 70% riding. of that was quality mileage.
0: Oh, yeah. She's always running, Be like, lucky. steady, state fast, right? And then the... um. The biking, though, I mean, that's really weird. it's like five and a half hours, a hundred plus miles on on the trainer, on a bike. And that's where like a bulk of probably that easy aerobic stuff is coming in. And then when it comes to the run, a lot of that's like more quality. Um, And she was able to run, you know, under a seven minute pace for the end of, for the half Ironman at the end of that race. And she won the whole race. So, I mean, that's just kind of crazy to me. Um... And she, I mean, she's really only been doing tries for not very long. And that's, I mean, it's just a testament that the aerobic system definitely translates to running for sure. And and I think there are a lot of benefits to doing some cross training because it does definitely work different muscles. Like you were saying that one winter I biked a lot. It was the least I had ever ran in my in my life for a couple months there. Like the longest stretch where I hadn't really been running much, but I was biking quite a bit. And then it's like, I go to do a few races and all of a sudden I was like, how am I able to run fat, like PRs? Like how am I able to run PR mm-hmm. in the mile when I'm almost 30 years old and all I did all winter was bike and then like PR the 8K, PR the 10 mile later that year, almost a half. It was just crazy how many um, good races I had that year even though all I did that winter was pretty much bike and run like 10 miles a week. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's the other that aerobic base and then continuing to maybe use different muscles when you're on the bike, you're definitely using something else. So I do think new stimuli, right, mm-hmm. it can result in changes for sure. And even when you did some of those tries, like you were able to, to run pretty fast that summer and even in the finish of a lot of those tries and a lot of your biking, all you did was like bike workouts, it seemed yeah. like. And not a lot of running stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely fun to think about. And I know people, you know, they might use other forms of cross training too, right? Like elliptical right. or um rolling. Yeah. Something pretty new and you know, orange or walking. Yeah. A lot a lot forward. of people do orange theory and stuff like that too, but mm-hmm. you just have to be careful there because you're doing you know, if that's your form of cross training, you're doing and you're intent you're running intense there on the treadmill or whatever then you have to be careful with doing other workouts on top of that, you know what I mean? Because right. you gotta make sure you're, you have enough recovery there. So. Well, and
0: I get asked a lot of the times, people will like say, oh, does, does lifting make you a stronger runner? And I don't want people to get confused as to like, what is cross training? So aerobic cross training is something that is working your aerobic system. When I'm lifting weights, I mean, I suppose you could lift weights aerobically, but it's that's not really what weight training right. is for. It's for building strength and so you're really working like an anaerobic system and you're building power and strength and that is not it's not contributing to my aerobic system in that in that way and it's not going to make me a faster runner directly. What strength training does is it indirectly makes you have more power. It helps prevent injury. There's a lot of benefits to strength training um Especially lower body that would help you with running, but I get I do get asked about like is Orange Theory good? But like you said, really being aware of like what systems you're using because Orange Theory is gonna kind of be all over the board. Um, sometimes you are maybe rowing and then you get off and you're doing some lifting as well. Sometimes you're on the the treadmill. So just being aware of like how much stress you are putting on the body. Mm-hmm. Same with some of these spin classes. I've been to some spin classes at Lifetime before, yeah. like we used to go, and it was not an easy aerobic activity because, like, I'm way too competitive. You put me in an environment with a ton of other people in a class and, like, the lights are low, the instructor's yelling at you. The
1: music's blasting. It was, like, yeah.
0: anaerobic. Like, yeah. I'm sitting there doing, like, threshold work. And so I think knowing that if you're in those group settings, it's, it's probably going to be hard for you to chill out unless you're, like, a super type B personality and just don't care. Um, same with, like, heated yoga. I go to heated yoga a lot, and while yes, I do feel like maybe it is challenging, and, and you are sweating, right? I mean, you're moving, you're flowing, it's fast, but my heart rate's not being sustained in an aerobic zone. It's maybe, like, right. 95 to 1, 115. Yes, there are portions of the class where my heart rate will get into the 125s, but it's not sustained, right? Like, it's like very short-lived. And same with lifting. Like, your heart rate might get up to, right. so like, 125 130 whatever like when you're doing 10 deadlifts in a row but then you have a rest period and so it is not aerobic sustained activity for sure so good things to think about and definitely ways that you can adjust um just knowing yourself and then knowing that within any season of life really you can go from being someone that thrives off high mileage to maybe being someone that thrives off of lower mileage and then maybe all of a sudden you can run more again And Mm -hmm. just being aware that there are limited factors. So sometimes that's lifestyle related. Sometimes that's physically, right? Sometimes maybe we're coming back from injury, surgery, that sort of thing, and we're just limited in that capacity. Other times we're being limited by becoming a master's athlete or a grandmaster's athlete where physically maybe we used to be able to run 60 miles a week, but now we're shifting things and maybe we want to add in more cross training so that we're feeling better for some of our runs. And I know that really works well for a lot of Masters athletes. But the bottom line is really being individualized in your approach to this and letting yourself adjust with each season, each year as an athlete. Sometimes working with a coach can be a really good outside source of keeping you accountable and maybe being able to look at things with a different perspective and give some insights to you there. And we always offer a free seven day trial working with a coach here. We work with a lot of athletes of all different abilities, lifestyles, backgrounds, mileages. We work with people who run like five miles a week all the way up to uh, probably like 80, 90 miles a week is probably our highest athlete, but everywhere in between, right? And so we can work with people who do run walks, people who do triathlons, you name it, we do it. We'd love to get to know more about you and get you set up on a free seven day trial. So you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com. We can get you set up with that free seven-day trial. Again, that's www.runforprs.com. Thanks for tuning in.